0: Well, good morning, welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Monday, January eighth, twenty twenty-four, and our top story today: social media platforms earn billions from U.S. youths. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Dr. Amanda Raful is with Harvard Medical School. Amanda, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning.
1: Thanks for having me today.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about this uh, study that you and the team. Uh, did. And I, I just want to start off $11 billion. That is uh, could be the economy of a small uh, country um, or even a state here in the United States. But that is the amount of revenue that some of these tech companies are earning off of miners. And I want to get your first reaction to when you saw that number, when you calculated that number. What was the first reaction?
1: I think I was similarly shocked at how much revenue is being generated from young users. Obviously, we know that young people are drawn to social media, use it very frequently. Uh, but I don't think that we, um, or most of the public, generally understands how much children's time online is being profited off of by these companies.
0: Yeah, and and, and the psychological and mental health issues that come as a result of just constantly scrolling, and, and look, we're all guilty. I have my... We were just interrupted before by my phone. So I have my phone next to me and I I can kind of relate. But what type of, in the study, it talks about ad revenue. Are these video ads? What types of ads are these and what types of products are being, or services are being pitched to these younger people?
1: So one of the reasons we did this study in the first place is because social media platforms have no obligation to release any of the data on the types of ads or content that people see, uh, the number of youth that are even online on their platforms or how much revenue they're making from them. And so when we did the study, we didn't have access to any data on the types of ads you saw, which is definitely a major gap in the research literature more broadly, but hopefully our study can show the reasons for looking into ad content a little bit more because we know that they're making so much money off of youth. I think a good next step is to try and uh, force or obligate or regulate these platforms to release the types of ads that youth are seeing.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I can tell you that a lot of the ads that I get and I, I don't, I mostly go on LinkedIn. So I'm not on Facebook or Instagram, but a lot of the ads I get are related to some of the searches that I do In Firefox or Safari. And there's a doctor, there's a lot of data sharing going on. So and again, we don't know, you know, no, no, no one from the social media companies has provided you the information. But there's a lot of data sharing that you yourself are providing through your searches, but also um, maybe even through third party providers.
1: Of course. And and I think our study, along with some other work that people have been doing in this area, is calling attention to the lack of data transparency or how transparent these companies are about the types of information they collect from us and especially from young people and what they're doing with that information too.
0: Are there particular platforms that maybe earned more revenue than others? I mean, I, I can tell you, I go on YouTube and I, I think a lot of kids now they learn to do things on YouTube. So there's Google's YouTube, there's, uh, there's Meta, that, which has Instagram and Facebook, there's X, which is previously known as Twitter, Are, and, and of course, TikTok. I can't even believe I didn't bring that up first. Are there particular platforms that earn more revenue than others? I mean, just broadly speaking, related to your study.
1: Sure, we actually did a couple of different analyses where we broke down the revenue that was generated from youth ages zero to 12, so the children in the study, um, and then those ages 13 to 17, so teenagers. So among that younger group, ages zero to 12, we actually found that YouTube earned uh, the most amount of ad revenue from really young people, followed by Instagram and then Facebook. Um, And for ages 13 to 17, first place was Instagram, followed by TikTok and YouTube. Um, and when we're looking at the 13 to 17 year olds in particular for each of those platforms, the revenue from teens in one year was well into the billions.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a, <laughs> this is a ton of money as we were talking about before. Uh, last question before we go to a commercial break. Um, have you heard from parents or anecdotally heard from parents? If I had a young child, I don't, but I have two cats. But if I had a child that had a phone, a lot of kids now, by the way, have these devices. Um, Any feedback that you got from parents?
1: We often hear from parents that they're concerned about the fact that they can't see what their children are seeing online. And considering the fact that we're in, you know, a, a youth mental health crisis, there's obviously a lot of concern from parents. One thing I think that our study highlights is that not only are there risks to youth being online, but their time is being monetized by these platforms. And I don't think that that's something a lot of parents really understand.
0: Well, thanks, Dr. Rafoul. I need to take a very quick break. When we come back more on monitoring social media accounts, you're gonna to wanna to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network. That will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa To the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Well, Dr. Ruffle, thanks so much for staying with us. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two this morning. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we left off the conversation before we went to commercial break about the parents and the feedback anecdotally that how surprised they are. And I want to start off this part of the conversation about the guardrails. Uh, is there a role for state or federal government in in regulating uh, social media? Because as you said, there's not a lot of data out there uh, that that, that these entities share um, with the public.
1: There's definitely a role for state and federal legislators to start implementing policies that can help regulate social media platforms, especially when it comes to the practices they have with young people. Um, federally, there's been some active legislation that for the past couple of years has made some progress. One bill is called the Kids Online Safety Act, uh, which is working its way through Congress at the moment. At the state level, various states have been trying to put in some measures as well. Um, And I think that what our study demonstrates more than anything is that there is a need for government regulation of social media platforms because industry is not going to feel the the need to self-regulate when they're making so much money they're always going to prioritize profit and if they're generating so much ad revenue from young people um it's unlikely that they're going to make any practices or changes to their practices themselves
0: yeah really good point um what about what's been the feedback um to just the, the concept in general uh of the study and have you ever seen feedback from the metas of the world the googles i mean what's their reaction are they saying? We do take privacy into account. We are doing some level of protection. Have they have they come forward with some of the steps they're taking?
1: We haven't heard anything from the social media platforms directly, and we haven't been in contact with them. Uh, but I do know that when legislation is introduced, either at the state level or federally, there's always quite a lot of pushback from yeah, industry and lobbyists. Yeah, um, who always, again, emphasize that they can self-regulate that they can try and make changes on their own without government intervention. Um, and unfortunately, from what we found in our study and what others have highlighted, they don't really have a ton of incentive to do so.
0: Yeah, uh, and I want to ask you, uh, parents, so parents, you, you, we already talked about the feedback that parents have provided. What can they do? Because um, short of you know monitoring, and, and I think about kids, I think about my own nieces and my nephew who are somewhere between six and 12, I don't know if they have these devices, but they have access to them. Uh, What can parents do? Because I I would imagine that there's a role for government, there's a role for the industry, but there's probably a parental role here because these are not 18-year-olds, these are children. So what is their role here in this?
1: Um, On a personal level, there's things that parents can do in terms of having conversations with their children, trying to increase dialogue about what they're seeing on social media, um, and really emphasizing something called media literacy or the ability to read between the lines of the videos, the posts that you see and trying to decipher where that info is coming from and if it's reliable. Um, but I more often than not uh, recognize that for parents, that's incredibly difficult, especially yeah. when um, the more algorithm-driven social media platforms get. So for example, something like TikTok or an Instagram feed, what a youth sees and what a parent sees are completely different. And so I think it's even difficult for parents to know what their child is seeing online before they can open those conversations. Um, And so my emphasis and my focus is always gonna be on holding those platforms accountable but in the meantime, what parents can do is just try to open up dialogue about what their children are seeing. Because I don't think most parents know that uh, their feed looks very different from that of their 12-year-old, for example. Yeah,
0: yeah sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was gonna say it's very we live in a very unique time. As I was thinking about as you were talking about growing up and my parents, you know, we had three TVs or two TVs, and I watched Gilligan's Island, but they had some way of monitoring what I was watching, you know, Gill- Gilligan's Island, Gomer Pile, and they saw the some of the commercials really difficult now for, for parents to kind of step in because we all get an individualized approach to what, what we consume. Uh, last question, Dr. Raful, how, how do you follow up on this study? So what's, what's next here? You got the, do, you, do you track this over time to say, hey, it went from 11 billion to 22 billion? I'm not saying that's the case, but how do you follow up this study?
1: One thing that we're trying to do with this study is put it into the hands of folks that are able to use it. Um, We have really emphasized the need to generate research that policymakers can take and use when they're informing state or federal policies to try and curb social media practices and what these platforms are doing. And so what we're doing with the results of this study is trying to make them as publicly available as possible, make them as digestible as possible so that lawmakers can take our findings and hopefully inform some of those bills that they're trying to put in place to curb social media practices and how they um, affect so- these mental health especially. Yeah,
0: yeah my apologies. I was gonna just close it out by saying parents can also probably get grab the report as well. Take it to their local representative and say, hey, this this is a big deal for, for us. Or, or bound to get bind together in, in community groups. Dr. Raful, we're gonna have to leave it there. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon.
1: Of course. Thanks again for having me.
0: And that wraps up this episode of B R N A M. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, and visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another great edition of BRNAM. AM. We'll have a very special guest. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.